us more. It's about time because we're going there. Hi, we're going there, friends. If it's your first time on the podcast, my name is Hannah Lovejoy, and I'm on the podcast team here. Today, we are doing something special, and we're going to flip the table on our host, Bianca Warazolta. We are going to tackle a tough topic that Bianca spent a lot of time studying, processing, and learning about. We can't call this show We're Going There and shy away from tough topics, am I right? So, today we are talking about loss and grief. As a podcast team, we know and have processed the pain that the world has felt over the last two years. So, how should we live in the midst of all of this? And if you've experienced some trauma and are living in the wake of grief, how do you heal? That's exactly what we're talking about on today's show. So, Bianca, are you ready to go there? First of all, Hannah... Yes, yes, I am. And Hannah, can I just say that I love your accent? <laughs> like, I could just close my eyes and listen to you talk. Like, clearly, you have a radio background. Your voice is so soothing. And I feel excited. <laughs> I feel excited that I get to spend time with you talking about this topic. Um, Hannah, just a quick moment as we like dive into yeah. the episode. For those that don't know, I just am so grateful for you, the time and the energy that you pour into this podcast. You are part of the show, and I just want to say that I appreciate you. I'm so glad that we get to do this episode together. Okay, so as we dive in, I just want to give like a little bit of context. This episode was actually planned out a couple months ago, um, but the timing of us recording this is really interesting. So just yesterday here in the United States, there was a shooting in Texas, and it left 14 people dead. And um, last week, there was a shooting at a church in Laguna Beach here in Orange County near my house. And then a little bit before that, there was a shooting in Buffalo, New York. I mean, so let's just kind of like pause for a second because we couple a lot of this like loss and grief with, let's just talk about the global economic craziness um, or the fact that we are recovering over a global pandemic. I mean, there's been so much pain and loss in the last two years. And the reason why I wanted to do this podcast and the timing of it, it was just serendipitous, but I feel like we just need to stop and ask, like, are we okay? You know? And so um, I know when we ask ourselves this question, it might feel a little like um, esoteric or indulgent, but I remember asking myself this in November of 2021, and I was coming out of two really, really hard years. Now, okay, I want to acknowledge, like, Yes, 2020 was hard for a lot of people. A lot of people, I'm not dismissing that. I can only speak to like my story. And in those last two years, there has been so many losses. And Hannah, I know that you probably can resonate with this, but it's been a loss of dreams for me. It's been a loss of relationships. It's been a loss of promises that people made and then reneged. There's loss of friendships. And ultimately, I think the hardest thing for me was a loss of trust. Um, from people. And here's the thing about grief that we have to acknowledge as we dive into this topic is that sometimes we are acutely aware of pain and loss. And then other times as we're like unearthing pain and trauma and feelings, um, we can slowly recognize that we've been experiencing grief. So for anyone who's out there listening right now and they're in the grieving process, or maybe you're like, I didn't even know that I was grieving. My hope for this episode is that this will be a safe place for people to land. And whether you're here because you're grieving a loss of your own or you're hoping to be present for someone else in the moment of their loss, I just wanna say thank you for listening. When it comes to grief, um, my fear is that this is what people like pick up along the way, especially like in our Western culture, is that we hear phrases when people experience like loss and we say like, oh, you just gotta get over it. 
or maybe some time has passed after a loss of a loved one or loss of a job or whatever. And we hear people say like, oh, wow, so much time has passed. You should be okay now. And I think I want to remove the mindset of like, well, you just got to keep moving on and hold this with an understanding is like, we're not moving on. It's like we're moving through. So grief isn't something that you can just like put down and walk away from. Grief is a wound that needs to be tended to. And the beautiful thing about that is that in the wake, a scar is proof that healing is possible. And so um, in this episode, I want us to understand that grief is natural and emotional and it's a physical process. And I want to help our hearts and our minds and our bodies be present with that so that we can learn how to heal well. Amen. <laughs> Um, so in your own words, um, how would you describe grief? Okay. So the tech definition is grief is an automatic cellular, organic, natural process that occurs in the human mind and body. And it's a response to loss, but I like a very simple definition. A simple definition is yes, it's a response to loss, but loss can be defined as anything that hurts. And I think sometimes we associate grief with like the passing of a loved one or the passing of a pet or the loss of a job. But like, we're talking about these small microaggressions. We'll talk about that in a second, but these small things um, that could cause pain and hurt that ultimately requires a sense of grief. And so grief involves emotions, but it's also physical and biological. So somebody out there is thinking like, well, I can't cry or I'm incapable of grieving. Biologically, Hannah, it's not true that every single one of us, whether male or female, emotive or internal, we all have the capacity to, to grieve. And the process is um, that I want us to kind of like just scratch the surface on today is learning to allow grief to take place so that we could heal. So it's like flowing with the current of grief rather than trying to fight against it. So um, Hannah, you're in the UK, I'm here in the United States, but this is kind of like true for like all Western cultures. In Western culture, let me ask you, you, you live in the UK, if you have a loved one that dies, what does, how many days does work give you off? Or do, do, do you get a day off of work? Yeah, so um, I think we have something called like compassionate yeah, leave. Yeah. So it's like the discretion of managers. Okay. Um, and that's kind of like maybe like a week. Okay. Oh, wow. Weeks. Wow. Okay. So yeah, it depends on the place of work. And then you get like obviously the funeral and then. Okay. So here in on. the States, we have like bereavement, but the max I've heard is three days. And then anything after that, it's like you have to take like personal time off. And so, I mean, if your loved one passes, you that's just like planning the flipping funeral, you know? And in Western culture, it's like, okay, someone dies and then they're put in the ground and then everyone expects you to move on like life as usual. But in Aryan cultures, um, as I was studying like grieving and mourning and lamenting, there's these long periods of mourning and they can go anywhere from seven to 40 days. It includes weeping and lamenting and wailing and I think that we, in our culture, we just love to put it in a box, put it, or in some cases, put it in a casket, put it under the ground and then move on. But what grieving does is that grieving allows our brain and our body to heal. And that's really what I want to like drive in the conversation today is that if we, uh, my desire is to be healthy, healthy emotionally, spiritually, physically, and I want other people to walk in health as well. And um, so I've been going through this process. In fact, as I've been studying grief and just just taking some inventory of my own life, I realized, um, like I mentioned, I realized back in November when I was even thinking about doing this episode that I just 
didn't feel like my soul was okay. And every, as that was in November, I was talking to Matt about this and we, we do a vacation. I go on holiday every January to Cabo, Mexico. And as I was processing with him, I told him, you know what? I think I need to stay. I think I need to stay out in Cabo a week by myself. I need to sit Shiva. And he looks at me like, wait, what? You need a what? And I said, sit Shiva. And he said, what on earth are you talking about? Okay, so Hannah, you know that I'm a good Jew and I found out that I'm Jewish. So I, I'm like obsessed with Jewish culture. But in Hebrew culture, Jewish culture, when somebody dies, um, they go through this ritual called Shiva. And that's when you remain in the house of the loved one for seven days to mourn and remember, to mourn and remember. And in like just full honesty and candor, like I told him that it felt like so many things in my life had died and I really needed to take time to mourn and heal. I met with a counselor a couple of times during that week, but I literally just sat in my hotel room and here I am in Mexico, like I should be out on the beach or something, but no, I like sat in my hotel room and I journaled and I grieved and I realized that there is something so cathartic and something so healing about grieving and, um, that's what I want for people. The healthiest way to move forward is when we allow ourselves allow ourselves space to grieve. So in your process of grief, have you ever noticed yourself comparing um, the thing that you're grieving to someone else's experience? And if so, in what yeah. ways did that affect the way that you experienced your own loss? Yeah, I think sometimes, I mean, Hannah, I don't know about you, but like, I think like sometimes we look at other people and, or actually, actually, if you go to a funeral, you're going to see a gamut of emotions. You're going to see people, like some people are going to be like maybe on their on their knees weeping. Some people might be very stoic. Some people might have be emotional, but have control over their emotions. And I think that um, our minds and bodies experience loss on a sliding scale. So though someone might be over over emotive at one moment, they might be in a different place the next moment and someone else might be in a different place emotionally. And so I think that instead of like comparing what trauma looks like or comparing what grief looks like, we just have to give ourselves space and grace to be like, this is what I'm experiencing right now. And everything from catastrophic um, to what others might consider trivial, no one can determine like how we should grieve. And um, the only people that really could uh, express our grief in the best way that's healing to us is our own self. So uh, Dr. Dan Allender, he's a therapist and a psychologist out of Seattle, and um, he is the lead of the Allender School of Theology and Psychology. And the way that he explained trauma is that there's capital T trauma and lowercase t trauma. So like capital T trauma are like big things, like death or divorce. And everyone would assume, okay, yeah, you can grieve death. You can grieve divorce. Um, you can grieve a terminal illness. But what we're not taking into our culture is lowercase t traumas. These are the smaller, like microaggressions that really affect our psyche. And so when we take a look at whether it's the a global pandemic or what's happened in the United States with three consecutive shootings in the span of like three weeks, two weeks, good grief. Um, to, I mean, even small things like the loss of a pet or the loss of a temporary job. These are things that we don't think require grief, but they actually, they actually do. And so the question I want to ask people listening right now and ourselves is, are we able to name what we're grieving? Like to kind of do, I, I give this example, like if you have a fever or someone's trying to determine if you're sick, you take your hand and you put it on your, fo on your forehead. But I think that we need to take a, an emotional evaluation and take our hand and put it over our heart and say, am I okay? 
Like, am I really, really okay? What am I grieving in this season? And then once you've realized what are the things that you need to grieve and mourn and heal from, this is an important process. This is important for us as we process the world, as we process our perspective countries, wherever we're listening from, our communities, but even specifically like our lives. And we can't look at how other people grieve and say, well, they're over it, so I should be over it. It's giving our space, giving ourselves space and grace to process what grief looks like in order for us to heal wholly. And um, if someone's listening and they resonate with what you're saying, um, in what ways can people support their grief? Okay, so this, I know this sounds like technical, but I think the uh, the thing that we need um, in the moment of our grief is the first and foremost thing, number one, is validation. So without validation, grief is blocked. So if you're saying, I'm hurting, I'm hurting, and someone comes up to you and says, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not, you're not hurting, you're not hurting, you're not hurting, get over it then we aren't able to go to the place in depth that we need to grieve. So our grief needs to be validated internally so we can say to ourselves, like, I'm hurting, and then it needs to be validated externally. So someone else acknowledging, hey, you're valid in feeling sad. You're valid in grieving. The second thing that we need is uh, physical safety. So if we're in the, mid, uh, in the middle of like a threat or bodily harm or danger, our brain pauses and puts a hold on grief. And um, and wh- why is that? It's because we're trying to survive. So when we treat our physical being, it sends a, a message to our internal being, we are okay. We're okay. And then it gives us space to, um, to grieve. And so we have to make sure that our basic needs, whether that's food or shelter or clothing, that's all met. And then it gives us space to grieve. So number one, validation. Number two, physical safety. Number three is emotional safety. And we have, this is the one that's like super important for me because just because you have friends, that doesn't mean that you could be emotionally safe in front of them. And so this is when we know that we're emotionally safe, that we are fully ourselves without any pretense. We don't have to put on a show. We don't have to pretend that we're extra holy. We don't have to pretend like everything's okay. We are fully ourselves. Um, We could express the truth and what we're feeling and there's gonna be no judgment or blame. So that's establishing emotional safety. Number four, and this is the one that people just want to skip over, is time. So painful experiences, um, they're stored up in a part of the brain that has no concept of time. And so they'll remain there if they're not able to be grieved appropriately and properly. So, well, what does it mean for us? Okay, Sometimes when we're trying to rush through the process of pain, we don't realize is that it will come back later unless we mourn it and grieve it. And our bodies will respond to these experiences and they'll remind us of our loss as if it's happening in the present. So though the grief might've happened a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, grief and loss is stored up again in a part of our brain that has no concept of time. So we need time to heal and time will heal grief. Now, I'm not saying that time will heal all things, but time will allow us to grieve and grieve well. And um, I think a lot of people are familiar with the different stages of grief, but could you just simplify it for yeah. all of our listeners? Yeah, I love it. Okay, so um, I, uh, I don't like necessarily like putting all these things in categories, but this is how like this is how science labels the seven stages of grief. But I want us, as we're hearing this, I want us to know that we can move in and out of different numbers. It doesn't have to go like stage one, then stage two, then stage three. Because if we view it like that, then it's kind of like, oh, well, I happen to find myself in stage five, then I'm so close to healing. No, we can move in and out. Um, but this is before we go into like the seven steps of, of grief, I want to just clarify that in the seven steps and stages of grief, number seven, um, that's the place that all of us want to be. 
Um, this is what psychologists will say, like stage seven is acceptance or peace or healing. I like to call that shalom. That is where we can catch our breath and say, what is wisdom telling me about this situation? Am I fully healed? And that's ultimately, that's where we want to end up. And if we're able to go through the grieving process, this is the place that all of us want to land. And so I want to give hope to people who are listening that like healing is possible. Like you can live and survive grief and come out healthy, maybe even healthier. So, okay, stage one, um, shock. So biologically, we could stay in shock for a really long time. And post-traumatic stress disorder, like this, the responses to that um, are due to being caught or stuck in a moment of shock. So when we talk about PTSD, it's like these people cannot get out of this moment of shock. And if we're stuck in a moment of trauma, um, then we'll know because we don't feel safe, we don't feel comfortable, and we don't feel at peace in our body. So it's Number one is shock. Um, stage two is denial. Denial is not something I do. Something It's something that my brain actually does for me. It's a place where the brain is protecting us. And I, I don't want someone to think that like denial is oh, good or bad. Denial is simply protective. And if we lack things that we need, whether that's emotional or physical safety or knowing someone's there or having someone validate, then our brain can stay in denial until the right circumstances are there for us to grieve. I think this is important. I know I'm going like really fast over these, but it's super important because if we don't move out of these stages, then we'll never land on the place of like healing, which is where we want to be. So number one is uh, shock. Number two is denial. Number three is bargaining. And bargaining is this if-then proposition. So if I do this, then I know I'll have like this particular outcome. Uh, but at some point, especially when bargaining has not influenced the outcome, the body insists on grieving and we are less able to hold on to bargaining. And after bargaining is stage four, which is guilt. This is kind of where I get stuck. And so guilt is the stage where we're saying, if only... If only I would have, if only they would have, if only we would have, if only, if only, if only. And holding on to guilt may be a, about preventing ourselves from moving into the deeper feelings that accompany grief. And again, guilt isn't good or bad. Guilt is there to teach us. So after guilt is stage five, and that's mourning and sadness. Um, <laughs> Hannah, my sister always says that like, I cry like, oh my gosh, Bianca, you're such a crier. And Jasmine, I know you're probably listening and you and your black heart could sit there and judge me for crying. But in my research, I thought this was so fun. So anybody that's super emo out there, they'll appreciate this. But did you know that crying is an organic process that like literally the chemical content of tears that we cry from loss is different from the tears that come like if you're peeling an onion or if you're laughing hysterically and you begin to cry. They're two very different things. And when we experience sadness and mourning, there's a level of acceptance that hasn't been there before. And I know that crying sometimes feels hard for people or we've been told like, you know, stiff upper lip and hold your tears in and don't cry. But if we permit ourselves to feel sadness, the waves of grief become smaller and smaller over time and with further and further lengths in between them. So it's okay to be sad. It's actually good to cry. Sadness is not a mistake or something that we need to control, which then leads to stage six, which is anger. And I just love the juxtaposition between like a crying and anger, like super motive. And then now it's like, there's like ferocity behind it. But anger is not a feeling. Anger is actually a behavior. 
So when people say like, what do you feel? Oh, I feel angry. It, it, it's actually not a feeling, it's a behavior. And many of us were taught as children like to deny anger, like because anger is associated with bad behavior or unwanted behavior. But, but anger can be good. As in we can be angry and we can express anger without causing harm to others or ourselves. So anger allows us to relinquish responsibility for the part that does belong to us and the part that doesn't belong to us. So if somebody has betrayed you, if somebody's hurt you, you could be angry about it. And anger is part of grief. And finally, this is my favorite, favorite stage. This is number seven. This is shalom. Now, okay, you won't find shalom in any like psychological books or out there or anything, but they have listed they have listed stage seven as like this catch-all. It's acceptance, peace, healing, and wisdom. So if you look at the Hebrew word for like peace, ultimate peace, it's shalom. And um, what research is showing is that your body will know when grief is complete. There's almost like this inhale and exhale. It's a relaxation of muscles and there's a sense of peace and healing that goes to our entire physical body. And if maybe someone's listening uh, out there and they're thinking, well, when you say like healing or you say shalom, like what does that actually mean? Well, let me give you a picture. If I grieve and heal from whatever I'm mourning, I can sit there and then say, what do I imagine life will be like for me after this? How can I feel different than I do now? And this is super important to the process because no one can tell you what it should be or how you should feel, but it's important that you acknowledge what you're hoping for. And so when we talk about like, when we talk about this sense of shalom, it's like even in the middle of your grief, what would it look like for you to grab your notebook or a pen or a journal and then like jot down, what would my life look like after I grieve this? What am I hoping for? Because when you get there, then it's a visual representation. It's a visual reminder. Ah, I have mourned this. I have grieved this. This loss is in the, in the casket and under the ground, and I'm ready to say goodbye. And if there's someone listening and they feel like, okay, that's great. You're talking about shalom. You're talking <laughs> about peace, acceptance, healing. But they just feel like their grief is too much and they just feel themselves yeah. wanting to quit in the middle of the process of healing, what would you say to them? Well, there's two types of pain. There's pain that leads to more pain, and then there's pain that leads to healing. So if someone's out there listening right now, well, how, which pain am I in? Oh, well, here's some great clues and some signs and symptoms if you are suppressing grief. If you are running away from, if you're denying, or if you're avoiding pain, that's like a symptom that this is like a not good area of grief. Or you're thinking or saying, hey, I'm different from everyone else. Or you're thinking or saying, oh, I should be stronger. I, I, I'm upset with myself. I shouldn't be this sad. Um, maybe you have empathy for other people, but you don't have empathy for yourself. If that's the case, then you might find yourself in a pain that leads to more pain rather than a pain that leads to healing. And side note, side note, since we're talking about health, if people, people need to understand, we need to grieve. Like it's so important to our process for like health and healing. And if we suppress grief, there's actually like medical illnesses and that there's inflammation of the body. That what happens if we don't grieve, there's emotional numbness and we're internalizing anger and it's been clearly linked to depression. And so if we find ourselves going through those things where we're not giving ourselves grace to grieve, or we shouldn't be grieving the way that we are, or maybe we're numbing out, whether it's another glass of alcohol or an edible or another medicated pill, like whatever it is that we're doing, we will get stuck in an abnormal grief cycle. 
And if we don't stop the crazy train, if we don't stop the abnormal grief cycle, then our grief will last indefinitely. And um, the reason that being told, like people will say like, stop dwelling in the past, stop dwelling in the past, you need to move on. The reason why that is a horrible phrase is because the past dwells within you. And if we don't allow ourselves to grieve, then the body is forced into the four stages of ongoing grief. Now, okay, I know I'm throwing a lot of information out there, so I'm gonna try to like simplify this as much as possible. So there's the seven healthy stages of grief, and then and that's like a good grief that's a good pain, a pain that will lead to healing. Now, this is a pain that will lead to more pain, where we find ourselves angry. And number one is protest, where we fight against everything, and we're very angry, and we're looking for ways to deny that we're in pain. No, 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 I'm not in pain. No, 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 no I'm not angry. And then from there we go to pining. So we start in protest and denial, and then we go to pining. Like I'm, I'm wandering, I'm looking for something, I'm not completely sure. And so maybe if you're thinking, well, is that me? Well, do you find yourself going from like relationship to relationship, job to job, or state to state trying to fix a space that we can't name and we can't identify? That's a sign that you might be in an unhealthy, abnormal cycle of grief. Um, from pining, then we move into despair. And that's where you find yourself saying, I give up. That's it. There's literally nothing else that I can do. I feel powerless. I'm paralyzed by weakness. I'm caught up in this drama. Or maybe you find yourself with a low level of anger um, that is also despair. And you maybe find yourself like afraid to move on. You're afraid to hope again. You're afraid to try. That's despair. And then ultimately it leads to detachment and numbing. And that's when we feel like we are disconnected and we're lonely and we're separate. And th all of those, if you're experiencing any of those, protest or pining or despairing or detached, that's an indication that we need to give ourselves space to grieve in a healthy way. And healing is a process that we have to just get over. It's allowing ourselves like the space to move through. And ultimately what I believe, Hannah, is that we will be able to experience really true health and healing, not just for our bodies, but for our psyches as well. And I have a, I love a bonus it. question that you don't know. <laughs> um, what does healing look like for you and what does it mean oh, to you? Oh, I made it through this episode without crying, girl. Oh. <laughs> um, I think that I think we're afraid, especially in our culture, I think we're afraid of scars. Like we want to cover it all up and pretend that like it didn't exist. Where I think like for me, healing in this season realizes that I have, a, I may have had a lot of wounds, but I'm tending to them well. And I have scars and other people can look at these scars and think that there's something wrong, but it's just like proof to me that I've done the work and I'm going to continue to get better. And what, and I've said this before, like when you're better, everyone around you is better. The greatest gift that you can give your loved ones is the best version of you. And that's what I want for people. That's what I want for our listeners. That's what I want for myself. And so I'm hoping, I'm, I'm hoping I get there. Um, lots of good godly counseling, therapy, journaling, crying. So Jasmine, next time I cry, just know it's, it's totally normal. It's actually good. It's part of the healing process. <laughs> Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time to interview. I know that we've been working on this episode for a minute. You've sent me some amazing articles. I just, again, want to say thank you for your time. For our listeners out there who want um, a link to a fabulous article that Hannah sent me from the New York Times, I will also put that in the show notes. 
But if this episode has uh, been an asset and a resource to you, don't be shy to share it with your loved ones. We're excited that you listen to the podcast and we encourage you don't miss any episodes by downloading or subscribing at Access More or wherever you listen to your podcast. Until then, friends, we love you and we will check you out next week.